the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and this week I have the great privilege of filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron Arbaugh, on this radio show. This is a radio show that you know if you're a regular listener, where we take your Bible questions, questions about uh, what the Word means, what we believe, why we believe it, how to apply it to our lives, and here's the single purpose. We want to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's why we're here. And so uh, we have phone numbers for you to call in to this radio show. So let me give you those numbers, and then I'll get into a couple of announcements, and then right into our questions. The first, the phone number is 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. You can submit questions via email, and that email address is questions at calvarysa.com you can reach us uh, through our uh, church app you can submit questions that way and you can call also through the KSLR uh, app the mobile app has a a call now button at the top you don't have to worry about uh, messing with your phone just press that and it'll get you right to the uh, uh, studio producer to take your questions so it's Wednesday like I said and uh a couple of quick announcements here at the church. Wednesday means it's Old Testament Bible Study Night here at Calvary Chapel. So since Pastor Ron is on vacation, uh, tonight we have uh, Dr. Pastor Peter Paley. DP3 is a nickname we've given him. He's going to be teaching tonight, and it's going to be a treat. Not only is he a, a, a great teacher... But he's got a heart of pure gold. He's, his humor is, is different than most. But <laughs> I love his heart. So if you come on Wednesday nights, uh, you'll uh, don't miss tonight. You'll love it. Pastor Peter will share his heart. And I think he's teaching out of Obadiah. So that's tonight. Uh, tomorrow is the date the edition here on the radio show. That means I get to share the studio with my beautiful wife, May. That's tomorrow, ladies. So if uh, you have questions, if you want to call in, if you have uh, relationship questions or anything that we can do together as husband and wife to encourage you in the Word of God and what the Lord is doing in your lives, tomorrow is a great opportunity for you to call in. Uh, Two more quick things. And so yesterday I asked you to pray for Kamal, uh, her mother, Fozzie. Both were arriving from Uganda uh, after the radio show yesterday. Well, the latest update is good news. They arrived. Everybody is situated. They're assimilating quite well, being loved on and being treated um, 
with all kinds of uh, fellowship and and tender loving care because uh, what they're here for is uh, Komal's participation in, in heart surgery. So we partner with the Children's Heart Project here at Calvary Chapel and Kamal is, is going to turn three years old. I think while she's here, she's going to turn three here within the next uh, few weeks. So this young girl uh, is in desperate need of, of heart surgery. And so we host the family, uh, the Perez family here at, at, at our church body, is taking them in to stay for, for a number of weeks. And she'll have the surgery and um, help nurture her Komal back to uh, health uh, before they go home. But while they're here, we want to make sure that they're loved on and and every single time someone gets saved. And so if you would remember, please, keep Kamal and Fozzie, Fozzie's the mother, in your prayers. And from what I heard, uh, they are doing well. Lastly, and then we'll get on to the questions. Uh, a reminder to ask, uh, for me to ask you, the radio listening audience, to keep Pastor Ron and Paula in your prayers. They are in full vacation mode. I got a picture yesterday of Pastor Ron, and he was manning the grill. So he's doing okay. Is there on the beach, nice background. Uh, Please keep them in prayer, like I'd mentioned yesterday, and Pastor Ron has been mentioning. This is a critical time for the church body. We really need to hear from the Lord. Pastor Ron really needs to hear from the Lord. And so uh, he's asking for your prayers, just just that the Lord would speak clearly. <laughs> All right, let's jump right into the questions. Let me say this at the beginning, because I promised Tracy yesterday with an update on her question. And, and really, Tracy, I don't have much of an update because your question yesterday was about where in the Bible does it say that all the prophecies that needed to be fulfilled before the rapture have already been fulfilled. And I think specifically we're talking about Israel being uh, brought back into their land. Well, here's the thing, and, and, and I... And I didn't give you these passages yesterday because... Well, I'll explain. There are plenty of Old Testament prophecies that deal with Israel being restored back into their land. Uh, what, what came to mind yesterday, even if I didn't mention it, was, was the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel chapter 37 and in Amos' prophecy in chapter 9. But, but these passages deal specifically with the millennial reign. And during this period, Israel will be restored now. These passages also have a, a, a dual prophetic fulfillment. In other words, there's a, a dual fulfillment to these passages where uh, a near fulfillment, a partial fulfillment, which would apply to Israel being brought back into the land, has been fulfilled. And in Amos's prophecy, he says that there would come a time when the exiles of Israel would again have Israel as their own land, and, and they would never be uprooted again. And then in Ezekiel's prophecy, it's actually in chapter 36, where this is the passage or the verse that most people reference. When God says he will gather her, this is Israel, from all the other countries and bring her back into her own land. Now, the con context is specific to the millennial reign. So this is a future time. But, like I said, there is a dual fulfillment to this uh, where part of it is fulfilled. So uh, the short answer to your question, I think I already addressed yesterday, Tracy, and I hope that helped, was that really there are no major prophecies that needed to be fulfilled in order before the rapture to take place. We know this because Paul himself in his own lifetime was expecting the, the return of the Lord. He was expecting the rapture to happen in his lifetime. And so with that, uh, the rapture was imminent to him, and nothing else needed to be fulfilled. So I hope this helps. The short answer to your question is in Ezekiel 36 and 37, uh, in Amos chapter 9, but again, those are dual prophetic fulfillment. Uh, let's go right to our questions. I've got a, oh, this is a good one that came in yesterday. Uh, 
this question is from Lori. And she says, I've had people tell me that we are made in God's image when they're trying to make a particular point that sort of blames God. I tell them that Adam and Eve were created by God, but that everyone else was created through the miraculous process of conception that God created. Genesis 5 tells us that Seth was created in the image of Adam. But then Genesis 9, verse 6, uh, it says that man was made in God's own image. So which is it? Well, Laurie, when the Bible speaks about man being created in his image, we, we refer back to Genesis, just like you said. But we go back even further to the beginning, Remember in the very beginning when God spoke, this is the triune Godhead speaking in chapter 1. In, at the, uh, towards the end of creation, remember during the creation process, it, the phrase was always this, and God made. And, and the idea here is that God was, and God said he was creating and in the process of creation he um, reached a point to where it became time to create man but here's where in verse 26 there's a significant change in God's speech because this is what he says he says let us make man in our image so this is where we get uh, the biblical truth that we are created in God's image But God says in the plural, let us, and he's not talking to the angels here. Some people may incorrectly teach that, but that's not what's happening. God says, let us, this is the triune Godhead speaking, make man in our image, in our likeness. And this plurality is significant because throughout all of creation, up until this point, everything was simple. The animals were created, uh, but none were made in the image of God. When man was created, that's when it became more complex. And so now the full counsel of God is speaking. And because God, he is making man in his own image, uh, he says, let us, and I love that, I love that. So there's a couple of things to remember here. What does it mean then? If we're made in God's image, what does that mean? It doesn't mean we are uh, made, uh, like cast from a mold to look like him. There are some people who incorrectly teach that God's hand looks like our hand, that God's nose looks like our nose because the scriptures make some uh, references to God's nostrils. And this is not the case. When God says that we are made in his own image, there are two things that come into play here. The first thing is this. It means that we are eternal beings. In chapter 2 of Genesis, uh, God breathed into the nostrils of Adam, and he breathed his breath, and this is the, uh, the, the picture of God giving Adam an eternal soul. No one else has that. No one else in creation has that. I know that that people think animals have that, but they don't. God breathed into the nostrils of Adam, and his breath gave Adam that eternal soul. So we are eternal beings. That's the first thing that it means to be created in his image. The second thing, and this is important, is our freedom to choose. Our freedom to choose. God has given us all a free will. And uh, that is the second part of being created in God's own image. When you reference Genesis 5, when Seth being noted was created in the image of Adam, it simply means, that just like you said, uh, that, that Seth was born from Adam. So it's a common, it's a common um, phrase that's used to say one was given birth to or given birth from. 
But specific in this case, when referencing God making us in his own image, he's not talking about us making uh, human beings look like him. It has to do with, number one, being eternal beings, and number two, having that freedom to choose. So, Laurie, I hope that helps. Thank you for your question. All right, let's go on. Let me give you the phone numbers one more time, and then we'll go on to the questions. Like Pastor Ron says, it's, it's always, makes, always makes for more interesting conversation when you call in. And so the radio phone numbers here are 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. Uh, the toll-free number, 877 630 Five seven. All right, so let's go to the next question. Uh, this next question is from Richard. In John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, Jesus speaks of those who believe in him doing greater works than these. Is he speaking of miracles in similar fashion to what he performed on a greater scale, or is he speaking of furthering the gospel in greater magnitude and influence? So let, let me read the passage for our radio audience here. John fourteen twelve, a familiar passage. Uh, this is what he says. I'm turning there now. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And so, Richard, uh, the the latter part of your question is correct. Uh, Clearly, Jesus is not intending here to mean that greater would mean greater in terms of uh, of doing things that are more spectacular than what he did. But what he's talking about, what Jesus is talking about here is greater works refers to uh, uh, terms of magnitude. And so when Jesus is talking about greater works than these, he isn't talking about... Uh, those after him doing greater works that are more spectacular, more flamboyant, but he's talking about greater in terms of magnitude. Now, here's why this is important, Richard. This verse is is so often misused by false teachers, really, who, who promise that God wants to Perform miraculous physical healing, that he has to do it. But the problem is this, and here's what we have to understand here. Uh, number one, when Jesus was speaking here, he's speaking directly to, look at the audience here, his apostles. He's not talking to us. He's speaking to the apostles. And so these miracles that he's describing are specific to what they were going to do. Remember, they did these exact things. Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. So these miracles aren't meant to be normative today for us. There's a specific audience there that Jesus is speaking to, and it was the apostles. And what he was saying is that you will do greater works than these. The second thing, and this is important, that the magnitude here is is again referring to a, a quantity. Uh, I mean, the greater in magnitude is referring to not the spectacular nature of the works, but the the the, the influence or the or the quantity of the greater works. In other words, when Jesus is speaking here, he's talking about really the work that he's referring to in this chapter in verse 10. 
In verse 10, he's saying, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you are not my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. So what does that mean? It means that God is the one that's doing the work, and he's going to use these apostles to do these works, these greater works of greater magnitude. What is, what is he specifically referring to? Well, I turn your attention to Peter's first sermon. There in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people were saved there in Jerusalem. That's a perfect example of the greater magnitude that Jesus is referring to here. More people were going to be reached because more people were getting saved. This doesn't, again, refer to the greater works, speaking of um, the dead being raised back to life uh, and, 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 and physical healing becoming normative today. Unfortunately, that's what the false teachers will tell you, even today. And they'll cite this as a proof text, but that's not what this is talking about. So, Richard, I, I hope that helps. All right, let's move on to the next question. Uh, this one comes from Bruce. Bruce says, Can you explain the speck and the log verse from Matthew chapter 7? Bruce, yes, I can. So you're referring to the first few verses in that chapter. Uh, and really, <laughs> we, we have kind of a a joke, but it's not really a joke because this is the most popular verse for unbelievers. Don't This is the don't judge me verse or verses. And I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, this is what's often referenced by people when they feel like they're being judged. Don't look at me, look at yourself. But a proper understanding of this passage, Bruce, I think is necessary. So when you say, can you explain the spec, let me tell you what it means. The log, uh, the spec in the log verse is simply this. Before anyone, talking to believers, before you go inspecting someone else's fruit, make sure your heart is right before the Lord. Specifically, he's not saying don't go and inspect people's fruit and don't go, and he's saying before you do that, Make sure there's no sin in your life before you point out sin in other people's lives. Make sure your heart is right before the Lord so that you can be used by God. Too often, we have this defensive mechanism built in, and it's the, the, the defensive mechanism of deflection. We don't like when God touches those sensitive areas in our heart and in our lives, pointing out the things that are wrong. Well, what about Him? Uh, it reminds me of, of uh, Peter and John. Well, what about him? And Jesus is simply saying, look, don't, don't ignore the fact that there's a giant log in your eye. So the speck refers to something minuscule in somebody else's eye, but you've got this giant log in your own eye. Deal with your own heart first. That's the log. Deal with that first before you go and help someone out. And can I add this too? When you deal with the log in your eye, it sets your perspective correctly because being forgiven of your own sin instills gratitude into your hearts. And gratitude is the proper motivation to go and help encourage somebody who's dealing with sin in their own life. You're not going to go condemn them. You're not going to go and, and, and accuse and judge them, but with a heart that is intending to restore them back into the faith. Your attitude will be, there are things that, they're God, that God wants to deal with in your heart. And, and I would submit that this is the right heart in which you're going to go uh, and inspect someone else's fruit. So it doesn't mean don't do it. It means before you go and talk to somebody else about their own life, make sure your life is free of sin. And lastly here, we got like a couple of minutes. I want to 
just elaborate on the side tangent related to this. Uh, in this day and age, we are inundated with all kinds of so-called uh, discernment ministries, watchdog-type ministries. And this is in the validation of those type of ministries because there really isn't any benefit to those types of ministries. People who make it their life's goal to to bring other people down, um, yes, we're to call out false teachers, but uh, nowhere in the scriptures does God's heart reflect us being the Holy Spirit police, where we go and investigate other people's lives. And with everything being so available online, uh, we're... We're overwhelmed with so much information that we get consumed with being uh, spec inspectors instead of dealing with the log in our own eyes. So I hope that helps, Bruce. Well, you can hear the music. That means the first half of the Wednesday edition of the show is done. We've got a two-minute break, and then I'll be back for the rest of the show. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the word to stand on for life on the wednesday edition of the show my name is pastor ken cruzado and if you're just tuning in uh, it is my great privilege this week to fill in for my pastor on this radio show to take your Bible questions, to uh, help you fall deeper in love with Jesus through uh, through understanding what the Scriptures say in its context so that you can put it into practice in your lives. I mean, that's really the crux of what we do here. We want to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. And so that's why we're here. And so we have phone numbers if you want to call into the radio show. The number to call in with your questions is 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. Uh, we've got an email address if you want to submit questions that way. And that's questions, that's plural, questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, we have a church app which you can submit questions through. Uh, you can call into the show uh, using the KSLR app. There's a, a, a big call now button at the top. Just click on that. It takes you right to the radio studio producer who will take your question. And so there's your numbers. Uh, let me remind you quickly, Wednesday here at the church means it's Old Testament Bible study night. And so that means Pastor Dr. Peter Paley is going to be teaching tonight. And I think he's teaching out of Obadiah. Okay, we have a caller. So we'll go right to the phone lines. Jeff from San Antonio, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. I think you need to take an hour before Pastor Ron, and we have two hours of you guys. It'd be just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Love your spirit, and uh, appreciate you filling in while while he and the First Lady are on vacation. Um, I would like Thanks, you to, if you if you would please tell us how should the local church respond to the homeless? And I'm thinking. You know, especially in Matthew 24, when Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you've done unto me. And, you know, we still have uh, a crisis here in San Antonio, I believe, with homeless, including all the, uh, you know, like uh, the Attorney General's comment, Jeff Sessions last right. week when he quoted Romans 13, and how he right. kind of missed some important points around that. Um, Absolutely. How do we respond? Uh, how should we respond here in San Antonio specifically, uh, considering okay. our demographic? And I'll take your question. I'll take your answer off off the phone. Wonderful, Jeff. Thank you for your okay. call and thank you for your question. So, you bet, uh, yeah, let. Let me answer that. Uh, so you'd mentioned a couple things. The first thing is 
How should we respond? And I will take this in a greater context and then kind of narrow it down a little bit. You had mentioned early on um, about uh, the Attorney General's comments uh, citing Romans chapter 13. I actually took that question. I've received a few of them the first day of the week. And so I, I knew that was going to come up. But in case anyone didn't get that answer, uh, here's, here's what I said. Uh, because the essence of your question was essentially what was asked on, on Monday. Uh, how should we respond? Well, first of all, I, I, I said this. I'm always skeptical when government officials cite the Bible. And I don't know their hearts, but I know that their intention isn't to to teach the Bible in a way that God can reach hearts and save people. There's always ulterior motives. And unfortunately, in this case, it's the same thing. Um, now, with that said, uh, what the Attorney General referenced in Romans chapter 13 was an improper usage of that passage. Um, so how should we respond? Well, you know, on this show and from our pulpit, we don't spend any time making political commentary or, or making political statements because we want to spend every second we have teaching people about what really matters. And that's teaching them the Word of God so that they can fall in love with Jesus. But here's uh, what I would say about how we should respond. And now to tailor this down to uh, our, our local demographic here in San Antonio. Jeff, Christians should always have a heart of compassion. And, and whether it's the homeless or whether it's those who are different than us, when, when whatever... Uh, state people are in, uh, uh, we should never approach them with uh, an attitude that assumes that, uh, well, they, they, they got what they deserve or, 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 you know, they're just too lazy to work. That isn't Jesus's heart. I know you didn't ask this, Jeff, but one of the things that we spend all year long preparing for is our our biggest outreach of the year in October, the last Saturday of the month, there we, we set up at Travis Park in downtown San Antonio. And, and what we do there is we have our outreach called Joy of Jesus. We're giving away free food, free clothes, haircuts, manicures, massages, uh, drawing, doing caricatures, giving away bikes, uh, uh, sharing the gospel with people, anyone and everyone that's there. And and in years past, the primary demographic there has been the homeless community. It doesn't mean that we're uh, catering only to them. But here's what we do, Jeff. We always go right to the issue. Jesus always wants to deal with the heart. And so when we look at those who are going through a difficult time, our response should always be a heart of compassion. What that translates into practically, Jeff, is, is different for different people. It does not mean every single time you drive by someone with a sign that you have to stop and you have to give something. Uh, I, I would surmise that doesn't address the root of the issue all the time, though that may be something that the Spirit leads you to do at that particular moment. But that's the beauty of being led by the Lord because God has given us his heart and filled us with his spirit. There will be times when God will say, hey, that person over there, I want you to go talk to them. Or that person over there is going through a hard time. I want to give you a word of encouragement to share with them. So that's the attitude, Jeff, we should have. So specific to your question, how should we respond? We respond with compassion. And, and every single time that Jesus dealt with uh, people going through a difficult time, it was always with compassion. I, I think of uh, the, the particular story that, that's really near and dear to my heart when in Luke chapter 7, the lady from the street who has no name, it's not Mary of Bethany. It's not Mary Magdalene. But she is a lady from the street that has no name that makes her way into uh, Simon's house. 
And, and in that house, remember, there was a discussion going on between Jesus and the Pharisees. And she interrupts that, that discussion to lay at Jesus' feet with her hair, washing his feet with her tears, and uh, wiping his hair, uh, um, with her hair, wiping his feet. And immediately the response from the religious people is, if this man is really who he says he was, well, then she would, he would not let this unclean woman touch him. And too often, Jeff, that's the response that so-called Christians have towards those who are less fortunate, like there's something wrong with them. It's their fault. I can't get it close to them. I can't associate with them. But Jesus corrected their attitude in their hearts because they didn't speak anything, but he knew exactly what they were thinking. And here's the bottom line, and this is the the answer to your question, Jeff. Jesus said, Simon, this woman, she loves much because she's been forgiven so much. You, well, you love little. Why? Because, well, you, in your own mind, have been forgiven very little. And I think that's the kind of attitude, that's the response that we should have. For those of us who truly love Jesus and are grateful to God for what he has done in our lives, can't help but have a heart of compassion and gratitude, uh, uh, compassion towards those who are less fortunate and gratitude towards God. And whatever that leads you to do, you do in faith. So, Jeff, I, I hope that helps. Thank you for your question. And uh, it, thank you for allowing me to go on a tangent and talk about my favorite, one of my favorite characters in Luke chapter 7. Uh, okay, let's go back to our questions uh, 210-340-9585. That's the phone number to call in. Our question, our next question is from Anonymous Jr. Interesting. Um, is it wrong for a husband to go to one church and a wife to go to another? Uh, I, I, I can't communicate how heartbreaking this is. And uh, Anonymous Junior, I'm assuming this means that you're a, a younger person and you're asking a question about if it's wrong or if it's okay for one husband to go, a husband to go to one church and a wife to go to another. I don't know the context of this question, but here's what I'm thinking in my mind. If this is a younger person asking a question about his or her parents, Shame on these parents. Is it, is it wrong? Of course it's wrong for a husband to go to one church and a wife to go to another. Now, it's not wrong in the sense that you're violating specific rules given to the church, but here's why it's, it's even worse than that. How are your children going to see Jesus when you two, husband and wife, cannot walk together. How can two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? If your home and your marriage is divided in such a way to where one spouse goes to another church and a wife uh, and the other spouse to another church for whatever reason, that needs to be fixed. And 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 I have personally seen this myself. Again, I don't know who submitted this question, but in years past, I have had men sit in front of me in counseling sessions, parsing Greek verbs and, and, and speaking uh, about the original language in verses that they quote but the household is dead. The marriage is is lacking passion and lacking love. And so if you're a husband and you go to one church 
and your wife goes to another, this is wrong, and you need to fix it. More damage is being done to children in that household than you can ever imagine. I don't care what the issue is, why you go to one church or the other, um, but you need to be together. And you need to be together in the same church. Um, I cannot express in words how important it is. Because what's going to happen in this home, well, first in this marriage, there will be a wedge driven between husband and wife. Without even knowing, you give the enemy an opportunity. And you just don't want, you want to mitigate those We're going to get attacked by the devil. Our marriages are going to be under attack. Why give the enemy one more thing to work with? And in your home, if kids see division within the marriage and the parents act like it's okay, like it's normal, what are we teaching our kids? Are they going to be attracted to this Jesus that both husband and wife claim to have but they don't do anything together or go to church together or they have a a home that is you know has one parent in one room and another parent in another room again I don't know this person but these are real life situations that I've dealt with and and if it's not dealt with immediately uh, it gets worse last thing I'll say and then we'll move on husband is in it is incumbent upon you to fix this. You can't force anyone in your house to do anything. But what you can do is you can rightly represent the Lord at home. You need to read the Bible to your wife. You need to read the Bible to your children. They need to see the Word of God living and active in your own life. They need to see you, husband, see you, father, responding to uh, difficulties, to trials, uh, by trusting in God. They're not expecting you to have all the answers. They're not expecting you to fix everything. That's what we men want to do. What your wife wants is a godly husband. What your children want is to see a loving and tender uh, father. So husbands... If this is your home, don't let it continue any longer. Go home and fix it. How can two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? <sighs> okay, so I hope that helps, uh, Anonymous Jr. Uh, next question is from from Frank. Frank says... Does Hebrews 12 mean that people are looking down on us or out for us from heaven? Uh, no. Frank, Hebrews 12 is, is a beautiful chapter. It really, it really is a continuation from Hebrews chapter 11. And so this, this uh, chapter division, it, it, it isn't one of the best ones. In fact, it's one of the worst ones because it, it, it doesn't communicate the thought that continues from chapter 11. When chapter 12 begins with the phrase, therefore, it means it's a continuing thought from the previous chapter. But this is what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Therefore, because we have such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, what you're asking is if this means people are looking down on us or looking out for us from heaven? The answer is no. The gray cloud of witnesses is pointing back to the witnesses in chapter 11, not to, to, to people who are in heaven looking down upon us. This is the word where we get, uh, this is where we get the word martyr from. So these are people whose lives have been a witness and they're witnesses to us, meaning their lives are examples for us to look into. They're not witnesses of us. When we hear the word witness, 
Oftentimes people think that people are looking at us from heaven, but that's not what this is talking about, Frank. It points to the witnesses to us, and these witnesses are the ones in chapter 11. And, and what we see when we look at their lives is this. These people in chapter 11 have lived lives that testify of God's faithfulness. And we're surrounded by them in that chapter, story after story after story of people who trusted the Lord. And we look at their lives as examples of what God can do in the lives of those who trust him. That's what that means. Those who are in heaven. I say this often at funerals and and, and I hope people understand when I say this. I know Pastor Ron says the same thing. But what, when believers pass into the presence of of Jesus they're not looking down on us we like to think that because of maybe I don't know favorite episodes of touched by an angel of something has taught us that that's the case but it's not those who are in heaven have their eyes fixed on Jesus encircling the throne worshiping him staring into the eyes of the one who loved them and forgave them of their sin. They're not looking down on us. So that cloud of witnesses in chapter 12 points back to the people in chapter 11. These people in their lives are, are a cloud of witnesses to us, not witnesses of us. So Frank, I, I hope that helps. This next question comes from Ted. I, I think this was asked before on the, this show, but uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and answer it again because I remember Pastor Ron dealing with this question. But Ted asks, would you accept money from someone uh, who won it from gambling? Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> we would. Uh, if somebody feels led to give what Pastor Run calls a bazillion dollars to the church, we will not fight them for, for it. We will say, God bless you and thank you. Uh, so, of course, if someone uh, offers that money uh, to be used by the church, then yes. Uh, and, 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 you know, the practical, the principle behind this is, I think, pretty simple, but it still bears explaining. Uh, if you're offended by that, uh, remember that, that God loves to take the things of this world and use it for his glory. Uh, and when Paul was given in uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he talks about meat being sacrificed to idols. He's, I'm not going to ask where this meat came from, but I'll be thankful for it. And so if someone wants to give money to further the work that God is doing here, uh, God bless you. And, and, and it doesn't violate our conscience at all because God loves to take the things of this world and use it for his glory. So, Ted, I, I hope that helps. Uh, we have uh, about three minutes left. I, uh, I have a, here's a great question. This one also comes from Anonymous. Uh, in fact, I had two questions, uh, two anonymous questions that were very similar, so I'll just deal with both here in this one question. Anonymous asks, is it possible for a true Christian to develop feelings for someone of the same sex? And if so, what should they do? Anonymous, the answer is yes, it's possible. Now, let me explain. Your question, two-part question is this. Is it possible for a true Christian to develop feelings for someone of the same sex? It is possible. Of course it is. But it doesn't mean you act on it. So let me say something that I hope everybody in this radio listening audience understands very clearly. Same-sex attraction in and of itself is not sin. Acting on it is. 
Same-sex attraction is not sin. Acting on it is. When the Bible talks about sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, any time, multitude of places when sexual immorality is mentioned, it is never exclusive to homosexuality. Sexual immorality is any sex outside of marriage. Heterosexual sex outside of marriage is sin, just as much as homosexual sex. And so, your question, is it possible? It is. But when Christians have these fleshly desires, and that's what it is, the right thing to do is to die to our flesh. So when you ask, and if so, what should they do? They should walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. You, you follow the Spirit and die to your flesh. And don't treat it any differently than any other fleshly desire. What God wants to do is use you for his glory. And that requires you to say no to sin and say yes to him. If that's a struggle you're going to have to deal with every single day, then by faith you ask God to give you the strength, and he will. So Anonymous, I hope that helps. Here we go with the music. That means we're at the end of the Wednesday edition of the show. This is the Word to Stand Out for Life. I'll see you tomorrow at 4. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.